Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and uh, I'm doing this later than usual tonight. I had family stuff that went longer than anticipated, so if I'm a little, uh, whoop, little loopy, uh, that's why. So apologies if I'm a little out of it, but uh, we got some good stuff to talk about, so we're going to... Go through with that. Should be a good time. On the agenda this evening, Saturday morning, we had UFC on ABC5. That was an event. Maybe not quite as good in practice as it was on paper, actually, in some respects. But uh, we'll get into the details. We got a preview. UFC on AB, bleep, UFC on ESPN48 uh, this coming Saturday. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a little bit of a dog. <laughs> So, brief aside, so the UFC did the thing where they're like, hey, look at all the cards coming up, and they had the July ones, and it's, uh, I think like the Holly Holm and Myra Breda Silva one, then UFC with uh, Volk and Yair, and then, um, oh, it was the third one in a row. Hang on, I'm going to look it up. Um, so, um, Aspinall. Okay, so it's like Strickland, Magomedov, Strickland and Maga, uh, Magomedov, Volkanovski and Rodriguez, Holman, Buena Silva, and then Aspinall and Tabora. <laughs> and somebody on Twitter said, because they put the, the graphic up, like, this looks like one of those loot boxes where you only get one thing that's any good. <laughs> and I, I popped. It's a word for a little bit of a rough stretch here. There's there's just not really any two ways about it. Um, UFC 290 looks good. We got 291 at the end of July, so it's not a complete drought, but it's uh it's a little bit up there. Um, so we'll be uh, but I'm here for you, and hopefully you're here for me. So that'll be we'll get through it. We'll get through it together. We'll find stuff. We will find something on every card. I promise. Well, I can't promise that. I will try very hard to find something on every card. Because that shouldn't be impossible, right? Uh, anyway, so we'll have the review preview. Then we have news. A couple of somewhat relevant things. And then, golly, I gotta talk about... I'm going to be as brief as I can when it comes to talking about the stupidity. The sheer unmitigated lunacy and waste of everyone's time that is hey mark zuckerberg and elon musk want to have a fight in the ufc like this got some traction and dana white won't shut up about it so now i have to talk about it now i want to talk about it because it's a waste of everyone's time but here we are so I will talk about that, and yeah, we'll see what else might have happened and whatnot. So that's the rundown. All right. Um, anything you can do to support the show? Like, comment, subscribe. That's always appreciated. Star rating, written review, whatever's applicable to your podcast platform of choice. Uh, share. If you've done any and all of that, let people know on, again, a social media platform or someone you know in real life that you just think might enjoy it, point them in my direction. Or if you think they'll be really annoyed by me, and we'll just get in here, and you can just inflict a little bit of torment, uh, I don't, I don't mind doing that for you. So, if you're new, I hope it was a positive recommendation, not someone trying to make your life a little bit more aggravating. So, 
Um, oh, I don't do this very often. It occurs to me I maybe should. Every now and then, again, this occurs to me, like, hey, you ought to do this. Um, if you feel like following me on Twitter, I promise I'm a fairly... I'm a fairly mild follow. Um, I'm at WinfreeMMA. It's W-I-N-F-R-E-E-M-M-A. Um, I promise not to completely pollute your your uh, feed with politics or porn. I can guarantee you no porn. I can guarantee you that. Um, as for politics, the only thing I promise with that is because my stance is I kind of just dislike the vast majority of what goes on in the United States government these days. I try to keep it minimal and hopefully it's what I, anything I do kind of throw out in that respect should, I'd like to think it's whether you, whatever side of the aisle you're on, like, oh, that's a bad thing. You know, like, hey, the president's currently involved in a scandal. That's not a good thing. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican, you don't want the president to be doing that. Spent a lot of time not liking what Trump was doing. Spent a lot of time not liking what Biden's doing. And again, I try to keep it fairly... I don't retweet a whole lot of it. Some of it, but, you know, not a lot. So if you feel like following me, again, I promise not to make any of anyone looking over your shoulder at your feed feel awkward. So, Anywho, there's that. All right, let's jump into this, shall we? Uh, I, I say it frequently, I don't want to be here forever. It's late, so I really don't want to be here forever, but let's just see how this goes. So UFC on ABC5. Main event. The one, the fight on this card we were all most looking forward to. I feel pretty confident saying that. Um, Ilya Taporia defeats Josh Emmett via unanimous decision. 49-45. Uh, which I, I don't agree with. Um... <laughs> The guy who's, I forget which judge scored it for, scored it 49-45, but you get there by having, you give, uh, he gave Emmett the first, and then everyone gave Taporia a 10-8-4, well, two judges gave it. I'll get to that in a second. The other two scorecards I'm about to read out, I actually find more defensible than giving Emmett the first, just my opinion. Not to say that Emmett was, the first round it was, it was reasonably, it was competitive, right? But it felt like a pretty clear Taporia round to me. I might have to rewatch it and go over that with a real fine-tooth comb, but that's my hunch. Um, the other two scores. So there's a 50-44, which was my scorecard. 10-8 um, for Taporia in the fourth. And then we had a 50-42, the super rare 50-42. This is only like the third, I think, in UFC history. The others were... Um, uh, Rich Franklin over David Loazzo had one. I know that. Uh, others. Um, oh, oh yeah. Um, Max Holloway got one when he beat Calvin Cater. And if you go on the Wayback Machine to 2001, Dave Minet, when he beat Gil Castillo, had a 50-42. So this is the fourth in UFC history. I think my personal scorecard for Nunez Pena might have been a 50-42. I'd have to go back and double-check that one, but it's super rare. We got there by this particular judge. It might have been Chris Lee, actually. Don't quote me on that. Um, he gave Taporia a 10-8 third, which I don't agree with, but I think that's defensible. And then he gave Taporia a 10-7 in the fourth. And 
I think 10-7 for Taporia in the fourth is more justifiable than 10-9 for Emmett in the first, just for the record. Uh, big coming out party for Ilya Taporia. Hey, you remember, uh, what, nine, ten months ago when they were trying to do Taporia versus Patty Pimblett? A lot of us at the time who knew what we were talking about, not just me, mind you, they're like, Taporia would do really bad things to him. It, if you had any doubt that that's what would have happened, like, look at this fight and tell me Ilya Taporia would not have turned Paddy Pimblett's face into mush. Uh, I actually kind of thought they could have stopped this between rounds four and five. They didn't. Uh, I, I got some minor issues with the fight doctor they had, actually, for this one. Uh, he showed up a couple of times, and I, there might be a specific uh, of the rules for Florida that is a little bit different than some of the other places. Because they're, the general rules are kind of are the same, but there's a little bit of um, nuance and... Uh, difference in certain ones. So, uh, earlier in the fight, there was a guy who got poked in the eye. We'll get to the fight, I promise, and I'll, I'll relate it back here. Uh, who got poked in the eye, and the doc came in to check on him, and he said, I can't see, because he couldn't. And the doctor said, okay, well, I mean, he's got the five minutes, right? And he, like, the ref is saying to the doctor, you know, you have to tell me if he can't fight. I can't, because of, that's actually a little bit different from state to state. This is true with boxing as well, by the way. Some places the doctor can stop the fight. Other places the doctor tells the ref to stop the fight. And that might seem like a weird distinction, but it does kind of matter. So if you're the ref in this case and you're in a situation where you need the doctor to say, I'm stopping the fight for you to stop the fight due to the medical issue, and that guy's saying, he's not saying, yeah, we're done. It can just, it can get a little bit like, bureaucratically or procedurally dicey. So the doctor comes in and checks... One of the things I said I was worried about in this fight, right? Emmett gets beat up. Like, like he takes a lot of damage and he shows a lot of damage. His left eye was a mess by the end of this. The doc came in and checked his vision. He could... And we the camera was on when he saw this, so we can all tell he's answering correctly. I don't know how he was seeing out of that eye. Like, it wasn't, let me phrase this, um, it wasn't like com- the eyelid was completely closed, but everything around it was swollen so much that he had, must have had like no, almost no um, vertical field of vision. Like it was, it was pretty badly swollen. He was cut up and Taporia puts damage on people. It's one of my concerns. So a couple of things about how this fight went. Um, Taporia comes out calf kicking, smart. Emmett is low and heavy on his legs. Uh, Emmett did a little bit more moving than usual. I think he didn't want to just be a come forward guy for this fight because he frequently is. Uh, he would have been chewed up if he'd done that. So fighting the way he did, I think, kind of mitigated some of that. But Taporia's jab was a real problem for him. Taporia got he's got he's got a short wingspan, even for featherweight, but. You don't need to have long arms to have a good jab. If you want another example of this, watch Alexander Volkanovsky. Especially the fight with Brian Ortega. 
Ortega's taller and has a longer reach. Volkanovski's jab is still what dictates everything in that fight. So you don't, if you're under the impression that if you don't have a giant wingspan, you can't have a good jab, it's not true. Some guys with short wingspans have very good jabs. You just have to know how to, it's a little bit different skill set. Uh, Roberto Duran had a very good jab. I actually think Tyson's jab is a little underrated too. But eh, I bring them up because they're both guys with slightly shorter wingspans. Uh, in the case of Duran, certainly after he moved up in weight, he was almost always had the shorter reach. And Tapori has figured out how to make his jab work, even when he's at the reach disadvantage. So, and that takes some skill. So good on him. That was a real problem. His power was really a problem. He, once he got his re- his range and his timing, he started knocking Emmett around, and you don't see that done to Josh Emmett very often. Like Cater heard him. Uh, but he and Cater kind of bombed on each other. Um, Taporia dropped him more than once. And he dropped him like twice in the fourth round. Nearly finished that thing in the fourth. Uh, that closing stretch in particular was real nasty. He drops him, gets on top, gets to full mount, lands punches. Emmett tries to sit up and uh, he just... Uh, he pancakes him back flat, which is a really impressive thing to do. So he pancakes him back flat, punches him some more, gets the back, is going for the choke when the round ends. Uh, yeah, this was a this was your big kind of coming out party for Ilya Taporia. A lot of us have been singing his praises for a while. Doing what he did to Josh Emmett, like beating Josh Emmett at all is relatively difficult. Uh, he's it's not impossible, but it's hard. And completely shutting him down like this, I don't know that anyone has. Uh, earlier in his career, early in his UFC run, he uh, had a tough fight with Des Green. That I don't think he was ready for the wrestling, and that was up at lightweight. Um, at featherweight, I mean, Jeremy Stevens knocked him out, but that was after Jeremy Stevens got nearly finished, too. I mean, Stevens broke his face in half. Then, uh, I thought Cater beat him, just candidly. Good fight, but I thought Cater had won that, still. Uh, Yair, Yair finished him with a triangle choke. Yair put some damage on him, but if you'll recall that fight, it's not like Yair got out of that unscathed, either. Emmett bombed on him a little bit. It's very rare that you see someone kind of completely shut down Josh Emmett for an entire fight and while doing this kind of damage. Uh, Taporia's defense in the pocket, uh, my, real good. Good high guard, good shoulder rolls, good footwork, good angles, pivots. He was constantly pivoting away from Emmett whenever Emmett would really overcommit. Duck, pivot, counter. He had several things really dialed in because Emmett kind of throws all of his, not all of them, but the majority of his punches, Emmett throws kind of the same way. So Taporia was ready, ready on the angle, ready on the reset, ready on the counter. He was well drilled for this fight. It was a lot of very specific stuff that was ready to make Emmett's life miserable. The jab, right hand was good. He started throwing uppercuts a little bit later. I kind of expected Emmett to maybe wrestle a little bit more. 
Not because he... Look, he's a big power puncher. That's kind of how he gets it done. But... He's a good wrestler. And unfortunately... Taking that away from yourself makes it easier to deal with you. Because, look, when I say Josh Emmett's game is not... uh, How do I say this? There's not a lot of mystery to it. I think is maybe the right way to say this. Because I'm not going to say it's not sophisticated. That's That's disingenuous to what he does. But there's not a lot of... Uh, there's not a lot of nuance in some respects. There's not a lot of... I'm going to say diversity, and bear with me for a second. He he does a few things, and he... But if you watch a couple of his fights, if you watch his last, like, three or four fights, he fights the same way. And... It's not the most difficult thing to prepare for. It's difficult to execute because you have to be on point the whole time, given that he has bricks at the end of his arms. Michael Johnson was beating him pretty thoroughly through two and a half rounds and then got caught. And that's that's the danger that you run into with this. Now, the problem if you're Emmett is your game is pretty well studied, and if you don't have a second gear or a plan B, you're left kind of doing what he was doing here, which is let's just try plan A more aggressively, and let's swing a little harder. And against a certain level that works, that's kind of that's one of the big reasons I didn't think he beat Cater. He was swinging harder. It's like he never landed on Cater, but he missed a lot more than you thought he did if you were watching in real time, and he kind of got the Diego Sanchez benefit of the doubt on the judges' scorecard in that fight. My opinion. Uh, Taporia took that away from him by just being a lot better defensively, by using his angles a lot better. Emmett moves well enough around the cage, but anytime he attacks, he tends to do so in a straight line. So a quick pivot leaves him a little bit vulnerable. And that's one of the things Taporia was doing pretty consistently here. The calf kicks were a big deal. Emmett's left leg was uh, it was really hurting down the stretch. Uh, but the point about Emmett's lack of wrestling, part of what opens up the power punching is the fear of the takedown. If they're not worried about it, if all if they know all they have to worry about is a couple of your power punches and the way you throw them, it's not the most difficult thing in the world to develop a good game plan. It's Again, it can be very hard to execute it on the night because there's physical realities in play. That's why you have the fights on in reality rather than theoretically. But if you're... If you know what you're doing, game planning and setting up to fight Josh Emmett is... It's a scary prospect because of the danger he presents. But it's not the most complicated problem to try and solve. And Taporia kind of showed a little bit of that. Uh, Nice to see Taporia go five rounds at a really good pace. Like, these guys, this was your fight of the night. And it was between this and a fight on the prelims, and I'm kind of glad it went here. 
Uh, this was a higher level fight. But... I don't know, maybe a bit too one-sided for my taste to get fight of the night? I don't know, not, the, not that the other one, the other one was a 30-27. I don't know. It, it's kind of a... If you want my, like, sarcastic response, it's that Dana White wasn't present for the lightweight fight between uh, che uh, Jose Chepi Metascal and Trevor Peak. Otherwise, he would have given it to them, but he was here for the main event. Again, my, that's my cynical, sarcastic take. Uh, so, but I you know, I don't object to this one getting your you know, getting your fight of the night. It was a really good fight. Uh, that fourth round in particular, man, Deportia was fully dialed in, and I give Josh Emmett all the credit in the world. I again, I was like, maybe they should stop this. I don't I don't really know what good it's going to do to send him back out there for a fifth round with how things have gone. And to Emmett's eternal credit. Doc checked on his eye. He either guessed well enough or could see well enough to continue. He rallied the crowd. The dude's been getting his... He's been on the wrong end of everything. Was on the wrong end of just barely either a 10-8 or a 10-7 round. Rallies the crowd, comes charging out for the fifth round, and swings hell for leather. You got to get that guy out of there if you want to stop him. Because uh, you give him that minute between rounds, and he's going to come back. Oh, uh, Where we go from here, I'd say give Taporia the title shot. I saw some people who were like, you know, how about we cancel that silly Max Holloway and Korean zombie thing? Let's get Taporia and Max Holloway. No. Look, people, if every potential title shot has to go through Max Holloway, we're not going to get a new challenger. Heck, Yair, your interim champion, lost to Max Holloway. The only guy in that division who's beaten him in forever is Volkanovski. That's it. <laughs> it... This is one of the stupid things about um, the way the UFC does their rankings. Because the rankings are done, in theory, it's like, okay, the champion is the is presumed to be the best fighter in the division. Not always. The, the champion is not always the best person in, person in the division. But because of how they set this up, and this is my thing, like if you're not going to do the who's the best fighter in the division and that might not be the champion... Because then what you're trying to do is establish the contendership queue, right? Who is the next in line for the title shot, not who is the second best fighter in the division behind the champion. Those are not always the same thing. I still think Max Holloway is the second best featherweight in the UFC. I don't think he's the number one contender because I don't think he should get another shot at Volkanovski. We've seen that fight three times. Volks won three times, and the last one was the most definitive of them all. I don't need somebody to beat Max Holloway to earn a title shot. If you beat Max Holloway, you're darn right you get a title shot, my opinion. But it's not a requirement. Who Taporia has beaten and how he has beaten them, he should get the next title shot. 
depending how Yair and Volkanovski plays out. That's kind of our big X factor here. We don't quite know how that plans out. Let me put it this way. If Volkanovski beats Yair in non-controversial fashion, Taporia should get the next shot. And non-controversial can mean whatever. You know, I, I don't even care if it's like an injury. If it's an injury stoppage or a cut stoppage to EIR or a doctor stoppage, that's going to count. Unless we get a really, really, really close decision or a really, really, really bad decision. If Volkanovski wins, Taporia should be next. If Yair wins, that muddies the water a little bit because they, I don't know, they might give Volk a rematch. That'll kind of depend on how the fight goes. Uh, if Yair wins either a super close or super disputed decision, they'll probably give him another one if he finishes him cleanly. Might not, so. We don't know if... It, we don't know if Volkanovski's sticking around at featherweight all that much longer. If he's serious about getting another fight with Islam Makashev, he's gonna ha he's not gonna walk back into that. I don't think. I think he's going to have to drop the featherweight belt and win one fight at lightweight. I'm spitballing here, but that's kind of my hunch. So we don't know a lot of what's going on. Suffice to say. Whoever, Ilya Taportia's next fight, my opinion, should be for gold. Uh, this was a massive performance from him. It's hard to overstate it. Like, he beat the crap out of Josh Emmett for five rounds. Didn't gas. Was never really in danger. Got hit a couple of times, but it was later. And some of the way his defense works means that even when he gets hit, it's not usually all that clean. Um, I think the only thing he said in the post-fight that he didn't get to do a lot of that he wanted to do was more body work. Uh, that might have been to do with Emmett's posture and guard. Just made it a little bit more difficult than he expected. And fair enough, is a really good body puncher, so I can see why he wanted to do more of that. But the head was open, and he was landing. So there's... Yeah, there's how that's gone. <clears throat> um... I don't know what's next for Emmett. Got beat up again, man. So we'll have to see how he how he is physically after this. But he's closing in on 40, so I think the title is probably out of his. It's just not going to happen for him at this point. But Tupori is young. Uh, I don't know that he beats Volkanovski, but I'm assuming Volk wins. I don't know that he d beats him, but I'm very... I would be very interested to see that fight. I would be very interested to see that fight. All right, uh, moving on. Co-main event, Macy Barber defeated Amanda Hebos via TKO, punches elbows, uh, 342 of the second. Hebos had a decent enough... She still lost the first round, especially when she got taken down. Um, Barber seems to kind of finally be getting her footing under her. She came into the UFC probably too early, hyped herself to the moon, couldn't deliver on that, and seems to have finally kind of actually built her foundation appropriately. Uh, the striking on the feet was a lot of every women's fight. On the ground, Barber's commitment to ground and pound was nice. 
and that that's ultimately what got it done. So both women were bloodied up by the end of this. Uh, Hebus was not out of it. I just don't know that flyweight is where Hebus is going to do her best work. A lot of other people have been a lot higher on Amanda Hebus than I am. Um, she had a good first run through the UFC. I mean, she came in and won her first, what, four in a row? But that loss to Marina Rodriguez was that was a pretty big one. Um, going, because what's she done at flyweight? She beat Paige Van Zandt that, in 2020. That's not very impressive. She went back to strawweight, went iffy, moved to flyweight, lost to Caitlin Chukagian, beat Viviani Araujo, and that might be more of a referendum on Araujo than uh, on Hebas. And here she gets stopped by Barber. I just... I mean, how'd she... So her best win is probably, what, Mackenzie Dern in 2019? Yeah, and, and Dern's moved on since that and rebounded quite well. I don't know, again, it's just... I don't know that flyweight... I don't know that flyweight's it for her. I, I think she does better work at strawweight. Uh, Barber wants to fight up in the rankings. She, you know, doing the I'm gonna be champion thing, and yeah, fair enough. She uh, doesn't she have a loss to Grosso? Yeah, Alexa Grosso beat her in February of 21. Her last loss was to Alexa, and she's won. She's won five in a row now. Now, granted, two of those I thought were decisions that she should not have won. Both Miranda Maverick and Andrea Lee. I thought she should have lost those. She beat Montana De La Rosa and Jessica Ie. Those were fair decisions for her. This was her first stoppage win since 2019. This was a good win. Um, but... I, I'm curious to see what she's... How she's going to continue to develop. Because... That was one of the big problems early, was she came in, she was able to generate a fair amount of hype, and ran into adversity that really set her back, and she couldn't reclaim it, and she had to she had to rebuild her game. I think we're finally starting to see the fruits of that foundation, right? So, curious to see where she goes from here. Uh, I would not favor her over Grosso. In a rematch, I would not favor her over Shevchenko. We know we're getting the rematch between those two. So, but Barber fighting up in the ranks, you know, fighting someone near the top five or so, I I could see it. I could see it. You won, you won as many in a row as she has. Even if you got some bad decisions along the way, that has to be acknowledged at some point. And if you can't hack it at the top, then we'll find out. Now, let's see. Heavyweight. This was the other. This is the fight I was talking about earlier. Um, Austin Lane and Justin Taffa fought to a no contest, 29 seconds into the first round. So they both come out. They're both moving around. Taffa swings a couple of punches and misses. I think Lane landed one. Then Taffa steps deep. He's southpaw. Throws a left hand. And Lane is slipping to his own left. And his left hand is up to kind of frame off of Taffa's shoulder and face. Fingers go pretty deep into the eye. Taffa's right eye is... He says he can't see right away. Um, 
this is the one that they kind of futzed around with. Like, the doc came in and he said, I can't see. The doc said, well, he's got five minutes. He says he can't see. Like, my man, I don't know. Again, this is one of those weird things. If the rule in Florida is you get five minutes to recover from the foul, even after the doctors examined you, okay. If the rule is, because that's not always the rule. You There's an assumption that you have five minutes to recover from a foul, you have five minutes to recover from a groin strike. That's not all. That's not always the rule with other fouls. Part of the logic there is the doctor can make a quick and reasonable assessment of other injuries. The doctor can check for a broken bone. The doctor can check your eyesight. They can check a cut, etc. They're not going to examine your genitals. So you get five minutes to recover. Um, but that's one of those things that might vary state to state. So that might be the rule in Florida. Um, they should have stopped this sooner. I I get that, you know, the guy, you don't want to just wait. You don't necessarily want to wave it off right away. If you, if you don't see a pretty serious... In, um, Sometimes you do. Like sometimes the injury is severe enough that you have, nope, we go. You go to the hospital right now. That happens on occasion. Uh, so I'm okay with him not taking necessarily the first one at face value, and everyone kind of going like, okay, let's you know clean the blood up. But when you see the eye bleeding, and the way it started swelling right away, like that's not going down. They again, they kind of screwed around with this longer than they needed to. Um, no contest. Uh, this is example number 15,697 about why the show win structure is stupid. Because Justin Taffa should not be penalized for this. Uh, certainly not financially, and he's going to be. Look, normally I'm not going to complain about not watching a crappy heavyweight fight, but I just, I hope Toph is all right. Um, Chris Curtis, who is genuinely one of the most funny guys on MMA Twitter, uh, had the video, had the the picture of, like, two knuckles deep, uh, Austin Lane and Justin Toffa, and said, how is this a no contest? My man really just went out there and said, Croft Baga. <laughs> I got a laugh out of that one, so thank you, Mr. Curtis. You popped me. Um, yeah, I hope Toph is okay, man. Screwing around with your eyesight is just bad, and that was a that was a bad eye poke. Uh, featherweight David Onama defeated Gabriel Santos via punch, a knockout punch, four thirteen of the second. Decent enough little fight here. I thought Santos was doing pretty well. Onama just, second round in particular, seemed to turn things up a bit. Santos kept entering for combinations on a straight line, and Onama just punished him for it by cracking with an uppercut. Uh, Pretty good finish. And kicking everything off, Brendan Allen defeated Bruno Silva via rear naked choke, 439 of the first. Good win for Brendan Allen. He's... Uh, he wants to fight up in the rankings. Did the I'm um, dangerous to Israel Adesanya everywhere 
I mean, shoot your shot, player, but... Uh, this was a good win for him. You know, Silva... Somebody on Twitter posted a, a clip of part of Bruno Silva's fight with Alex Pereira. And went, how did this guy stand for three rounds with Pereira and then get, like, dropped and subbed by Gerald Mercer? I mean, partially because he stood for three rounds with Alex Pereira. And those two, like, that was kind of a war. They they did some damage to each other, but most of it was Pereira dealing. That has a cost. Like, you think if they fought again, that would go the same way? Uh-uh. Not at all. I think Pereira kind of cracked his chin. And we've seen some of that play out lately. Now, that's not to take away from Allen, who turned in a good performance here. Uh, I really like the finish in particular here. He got Silva down on all fours. Silva was in a actually a pretty tight turtle, though, so he couldn't get the hooks in. Instead, he just reached, grabbed the choke. So he's got the arms, I think, over figure forward. Uses the leverage that gets him to pull Silva backwards to the mat, then gets the hooks in. There's a lot of value in knowing when to use position over submission and when to use submission to attain position. Because there's a lot of guys who might have been stuck trying to get hooks in on him and Allen just grabbed the choke. And they let that facilitate what came next. Not saying that works every time. The fact that he kind of clubbed Silva a few times and dropped him probably didn't hurt. Good win for Allen, who's... I think he's due a step up. Uh, might not go well for him. He's still got some stiffness in his striking. I'm still a little curious about his cardio, especially at a higher pace. And I don't think he's great off of his back. Pretty good on top, but I don't think he's great off of his back. Oh. But he deserves... I would agree with him getting a step up. So we actually opened the broadcast with about half of the... I don't know what happened to this card in terms of pacing. I mean, I, I know some of it. So first off, um, we lost a fight. We lost the fight between Tatsuro Taira and Cledson Rodriguez. Uh, Rodriguez weighed in at 129 for the fly for the flyweight fight. Not great, and they canceled the fight because of it. He missed by too much, I guess. So that sucked. We still started at the same time though, so they just vamped for 30 minutes and then. We ran 30 minutes over, basically. Uh, I mean, I, I get that you can't bump up everyone's, like, warm-up and start time or whatnot, but this seemed... Part of their problem was on the entire preliminary card, we had one finish. But you really should be allotting your time as though everything goes the distance. And so this felt like a little bit of bad planning. Um, yeah, we got our first finish in um, the uh, Rembeski and uh, Rajabov fight. Didn't get another one until Allen and Silva. Then Onama gave us a finish. Then we had the no contest. So, yeah, the main card delivered all finishes except for the main event. But those prelims, man, that was kind of a drag. Uh, so anyway, Neil Magny defeats Philip Rowe via split decision, 29-28. Uh, obviously one for Rowe, two for Magny. I scored this for Rowe. However, the way this fight played out, a lot of clinching. A lot of clinching. Um, I don't think it's wrong to score it for Magny. 
Because I, I, what, Roe takes the first, Magni takes the second, I don't think those are too much in dispute, and then the third was close. So, much as I scored it for Roe, I don't, 29-28 for either man is a perfectly reasonable, valid scorecard. Uh, welterweight Randy Brown defeated Wellington Terman via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. I don't remember a whole lot about that one. I think Terman started okay, but uh, faded down the stretch. Uh, unfortunate for Terman, this was his welterweight debut, that he cuts from 180. He used to fight at middleweight, so now he's fighting at welterweight. And his welterweight draws against another guy who's like 6'3". At welterweight. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that's some bad luck. As far as matchmaking goes. Uh, we had a lightweight fight, catchweight, because Loic Rajabov missed weight. He weighed 157 and a quarter, technically. It's 157. We'll just save rounding errors. Uh, Mateusz Rambeski stopped him in the second round with punches. Uh, Rambeski, he, his first fight, he fought like a, in the UFC, he fought like a maniac, like a bat out of hell. Much more settled here. Still very active. Much more settled. Crushed Rajabov with calf kicks. Uh, utterly crippled him. That's what stopped the fight. He backs him into the fence, lands a couple of calf kicks. He can barely stand. Knocks him over with a left hand. It was a clean left, but it wasn't a, like, snap the head back. But when he falls, the referee waves it off. And I think that was fair. I'm okay with more mercy stoppages in MMA on the vein of this. Like, no, that wasn't the worst punch you'd ever seen someone take. But he was beat up enough. Like, we can stop this. Uh, re solid performance from Rambeski. Uh, just you know, methodical. Uh, good power. Dude's a tank for lightweight. He and Rajabov both, man. These guys are tanks. Big and you know, thickly muscled for 155. Uh, Rambeski might be going somewhere. I don't know that for sure, but he's he's a hammer, man. He's a, he's a little bit of you get a little bit of that Jan Blahovich thing where it's like I'm going to throw myself at you physically and trust that I am harder than you and you will break first and that that counts for a lot. Uh, Strawweight Tabitha Ricci defeated Jillian Robertson via unanimous decision to 29-28-130-27. This was every uh, this was not a good fight. I've I've said this before. I heard Jack Slack say it once, and I could never unsee it now when it rears up. Um, a lot of female fighters, their fights look like they're doing pad work. And I don't mean that they're pitter-pattering. I mean, watch. They will set, step in, throw a three-punch combination, or, you know, two-three and a kick, or you know, whatever just like you're working with somebody holding pads and he calls out, you know, what? Two, three, two, leg kick. By way of example. So you step in, you know, cross hook, cross leg kick, step back. Calls it, and that's how they fight. So a lot of them fight. And I, that's what these two did just over and over and over again. It was... And there were headlock throws and Dude, Dominic Cruz and Daniel Cormier. <laughs> so, Cruz in general had a pretty good night. He had something stupid. He said, um, 
What fight was it in? I can't remember. Uh, it had he, he just somebody's cauliflower ear. Either the cauliflower ear got messed up. It might have been Emmett. Or I think it was. I mean, don't quote me on this one, but I think it was the uh, Taporia and Emmett fight. Somebody's cauliflower ear got screwed up a little bit, or it got cauliflowered if that wasn't before, whatever. And he he said like that's there to protect your brain. Like I'm sorry, my man, no. Cauliflower ear is not something designed to protect your brain. That's a disruption of the blood vessels in the cartilage. The blood gets in there. Then, because there's no real blood flow in a general sense, and it doesn't quite get absorbed the way it does in more regular muscle tissue or whatnot, it just sits in there and it calcifies the cartilage. It has nothing to do with like an evolutionary defense to protect your brain from to like provide more padding around the brain when there's trauma in that area. Like that, I don't know where that came from, but there were some earlier. What was it they were talking about? Um, I think that Jack Jen, Jack Jenkins and Jamal Emmers, and then a little bit both Josh the Josh Van and Jagas Jumagulov fights. No, no, sorry, it was also um, Cedricus, uh, Dumas and Brundage. They, um, somebody, was it? Somebody was throwing a bunch of headlocks. Was try was occasionally trying headlocks in the, on the men's side of things. And it didn't work once, and Daniel Cormier correctly pointed out, like, headlocks are a stupid thing. A headlock takeover will work at like junior high wrestling. Outside of that, you're giving up your back the vast majority of the time. Even in like high-level judo, they don't really wrap the head like that more often than that, partially because it's hard to get that grip. Also because if they don't hit the throw, the other guy is in great position to wrap the waist and take them the other direction and get and score the point. So they spend a little bit of time like talking about why this doesn't work. Then Ricci and Robertson are just throwing, Ricci's just throwing headlock takeovers, and <laughs> Cruz kind of egging him on, like, yeah, talk about, and saying like not, say egging him on, like not insulting him, but like, you know, we talked about these earlier not working. Why do they work here? And Daniel Cormier just trying to come up with something other than most of these fights aren't very good. <laughs> Um, you see less of the side lock, you see less of the headlock takeover in women's MMA these days. It's, it's a valuable tool, but you have to know how to use it. Like, too many people just throw it out there because they feel like it. Uh, if you can't get your opponent come, part of what makes it work is motion. If they're actively, this is one of the things Ronda was so good at when she would hit it. It wasn't just that she had you in a clinch. She had you in a clinch, and then she'd get your body weight moving. Because if... Um, who's the other one? Does? Michelle Watterson's actually pretty good about this, too, when she uses it. She'll get everything moving in a direction and then let the momentum help the thing work. The problem is, like, most people also aren't very good at settling into Kesagatami. And that's where you land... 
most of the time with that throw is theoretically in that in either the scarf hold or in side control and more more scarf hold so again Kesakatami and people don't spend a lot of time there as a general rule it's a very underutilized position and I understand why it's it's a relatively niche spot it's not easy to get there so people don't spend a lot of time working out how to stay there it's you know where are you going to spend your time? Are you going to spend more of your time learning how to solidify Kesagatami or a little bit more the nuance of you know, how do I pass to side control more reliably? How do I pass to half guard? And some of these things are just more useful more of the time in terms of what you are trying to learn and where you're going to devote your time and energy. If you're a guy who throws a lot of side headlocks, you know, or a girl, you might actually want to spend some more time with people who know how to use uh, the Kesakatami position and how to solidify it. But, uh, anyway, neither here nor Not a great fight. Um, Josh Van defeats Jagas Zumagulov via split decision, 29-28. I scored this for Van. Um, this was a fun little fight. It wasn't great. But it was it was plenty fun. Uh, Van had a lot of success. You know, he uh, there were some people you know, uh, Grabaka Hitman Kaposa on Twitter like when he says oh crap some uh, oh hey look at this somebody's showing up in the UFC I pay attention because that guy watches a lot and he said like oh Josh Van nice um, sucks for Zumagulov who. He's been on the wrong end of split decisions that I thought he won. I did not think he won this one. Uh, but he might be out of the UFC with this one. It, that poor guy's had some bad breaks. I mean, this fight itself was a kind of a bad break for him. He was supposed to fight somebody else. Was he supposed to fight... Um, uh, I feel like he was supposed to fight somebody else at this one. And Van... Somebody Buenas. And Van stepped in on short notice when the other guy fell out. I mean, Zumagulov has had, like, he's cut weight, like, th a couple of times in the last few months. Like, in fairly quick succession without ever actually having a fight. But good good win for uh, Josh Van. Okay, so Chepe, uh, Jose Chepe Mariscal defeats Trevor Peak via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. This was a 15-minute parking lot fight. <laughs> Trevor Peak has almost no, no technical acumen, almost none. But he's tough as nails, hits decently hard, and will not be deterred. Uh, he just, he bowls forward, he throws the kitchen sink at you. Um, Mariscal, apparently he trained, like, one of the things that kind of brought up, like, so you prepared for the chaos of Trevor Peak. And he said, yeah, and he brought up, like, you know, I'm... I train with Justin Gagey a lot. I so I feel like if you need, dude, if you need to get ready for chaos, you know, there are wor there's a lot worse people you could train with than Justin Gagey to kind of get a feel for that. Modiskel kept his head, better, just better fighter, smooth counters, uh, better fundamentals, got takedowns. We had some fun again, fun kind of like parking lot brawl scrambles. Uh, Mariscal looked undersized. I think he's a more natural featherweight than lightweight. So we might see him down at 145 in the near future. I'd be curious to see what he does down there. Um, 
yeah, this was this was the fight that I think if Dana White were present for, he would have given fight of the night because it's wild and crazy and stupid, and he loves that crap. I had a good time with this one, but like, is this high-level MMA? Not really. But it's not boring. This was not boring at all. This was just kind of what it was in that respect. Um, at featherweight, Jack Jenkins defeated Jamal Emmers via split decision. There was a 30-27 for Emmers. I was a little bit iffy on that one. I thought Jenkins had the first. Then two 29-28s for Jenkins. I scored this for Emmers. Um, I gave. I think I gave Emmers two and three. I'm not. I'm not losing my mind over this one. But I, I thought. I thought Emmers won. It's not that Jenkins had no. This was a good little fight. Um, Jenkins serious power in his calf kicks, but Emmers was able to neutralize that. Both guys switched stances a lot. Um, I, I just kind of thought Emmers won. Thought he kind of edged it out. Uh, decent little fight. I don't remember too much beyond that. At middleweight kicking it. Um, so Cody Brundage on about a week's notice replaced Punahele Soriano for this one. And you can one of the ways you can tell someone's on short notice like this is they jump a lot of guillotines. That's what he did. Uh, Cedricus Dumas defeated him via unanimous decision. 129-28, 230 Brundage just didn't have a lot to offer. He couldn't get going, couldn't get out of first gear. He's fought a lot fairly recently. He took a pretty serious beating a few months ago. Um, I want to say like December. Came back in April and lost to Adolfo Vieira and then this one. Uh, that schedule might not... This was an ill-advised fight. He should not have taken it. Uh, he was not prepared. He thought he could just go out there and, again, without proper training camp or whatnot, out-wrestle Dumas, and he couldn't. Um, not a great fight, but... Dumas needed the win, especially after his last fight, to show that he'd actually addressed some of the issues in his game. So, there was that. I mentioned already your fight of the night was Taportia and Emmett. No issues. Performances went to Macy Barber and David Onama, so... You know, get a finish on the main card when Dana is present, and you might get a bonus. Um, yeah, the prelims were a little rough at times, we're going to be honest. Uh, there were some... Look, Mardiscal and Peak is not exactly the highest level of mixed martial arts, but... We all kind of needed that to wake us up after the last couple of fights, which weren't bad, but weren't, you know, weren't really firing on all cylinders. Um, and, like, this was kind of, we mentioned it before, right? This was kind of a one-fight card. I was curious about Allen and Silva, but other than that, I was pretty down on this one. And the main card didn't take forever, so at least there's that. It uh, wasn't bad, but, you know, I kind of expected more out of this card, if I'm being honest. So that was the event. My full report is up in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. If you're so inclined, please go give it a read. Much appreciated, as always. All right, let us move along. So UFC on ESPN 48. So the main event. Sean Strickland. And inventing another Apex card. He will fight uh, Abusapi and Magomedov. Good old Abus. 
Um, talking about Abus for half a second here. 25-4-1 overall. Uh, successful UFC debut last year. Beat Dustin Stoltzfus. Immediately. Oh, that was so brutal. Like 19 seconds into the fight. Front kicks him in the face and just ends him. It was great. Uh, Abus had a pretty good run through some... Pretty good run through the PFL. Some appearances in KSW. Uh, dude's been around. They tried for a long time to get his first UFC fight. I mean, his last fight outside the UFC was in December of 2020. He had three fights canceled uh, before he was supposed to fight Gerald Mershart, uh, Alice Kab Kidriev, and Mahmoud Muradov. All those would have been good fights. Before he finally got to fight Dustin Stoltzfus. Since then... Fight with Gerald Mershart was rebooked, and that fell through. Another fight with Mahmoud Muradov was canceled. That one of those for February, the other for March. And we're finally getting this. I feel he's good, but man, they just can't seem to get this guy in the cage. And it's not really his fault either. I don't think. Uh, he's getting a big step here. I mean, Strickland's still ranked. Uh. Strickland beat Nasruddin Imavov his last time out. I kind of thought he beat Jared Cannonier before that. I mean, Alex Pereira knocked him out cold, but... I also don't get the split in the Hermanson fight. I don't know how you score that fight for Jack Hermanson, personally. So, we're left in a position here where I'm actually not... I don't quite know enough about how... Uh, Abus is going to line up with Strickland. It's a little bit weird. Because of that, I'm going to lean towards Strickland. But I'm not going to be surprised if this goes the other way. Um, we might get a good fight out of this. I, again, I'm very curious to see how they're going to line up. I just haven't seen enough... I've seen some of uh, Magomedov's other fights, but not enough to... Re I haven't done, like, a deep tape study on him, and you know, that's on me. Uh, so I'm going to lean towards Strickland ever so slightly, but, yeah, I... I would not bet on this one. I, just, I don't feel like there's enough information going on here. Uh, lightweight, apparently his last fight, uh, Demiris Magulov. Um, yeah, I, he had that rough fight with uh, Armin Soyuki, and he's had apparently some health problems that he's kind of trying to deal with. At least that's what he claims. Uh, so he's fighting Grant Dawson. Dawson is no slouch. Uh, pretty solid up-and-comer. Hasn't lost in the UFC yet. He's had weight issues. It's kind of the big thing. Uh, he missed weight at featherweight, moved up to lightweight, and then missed weight in his last fight for that when he beat Mark Madsen. He's a relentless wrestler. He's going to try and replicate what Armin Saryukian did. Is kind of the long and the short of this. I'm going to pick Ismagulov and... Really hope that whatever he's trying to, he's got to deal with health-wise, actually can be dealt with and he can continue. Because I, I like him. I actually like him a lot as a fighter.
but they are not giving him an easy out. Again, Dawson might well win this. If Dawson can replicate Saryukian's kind of forward pressure and relentless wrestling, uh, he'll, he'll be able to get the win here. I'm more curious how Dawson will deal with the physical adversity. Uh, that's less of an issue with Saryukian, who can be hit and can be hurt, but he's just relentless with it, even through the physical adversity. I'm not sure about Dawson in that respect. Um, but that's potentially neither here nor there. Uh, it's a decent enough fight. It, it's just kind of sad to see a guy who's as talented as, as this Magulov potentially leaving. Uh, welterweight Max Griffin and Michael Morales. Was this always this fight? I don't... I feel like this wasn't. Um, let me check. Um, do to do, do Yeah, I guess it was. What if we lost from this card? That's always a fun thing. Like, canceled or fizzled bouts. Uh, Joe Anderson Brito and Hussein Ashkabov, Abdul Razak Al-Assad and Bruno Ferreira. Uh, Fajera, excuse me. Double R in the middle. Makes an H. Uh, Jordan Levitt and Elvez Brenner. Vince Pichel and Benoit Saint-Denis. And then Yana Santos and Macy Chasson. I'm not crying over any of those. I was kind of curious to see Levitt against Brenner. I, I'm... Levitt's weird in that he came to the UFC with kind of a relatively limited skill set. But... This, again, kind of seeing how he would be able to... How he's, how he's growing as a fighter. I'm very curious. Uh, anywho, so uh, Morales... He's fought in the UFC before, I seem to recall. At least once. Twice. He is 2-0 and in the UFC, 14-0 and overall. He dodged a couple of bullets. He dodged uh, Ramiz Brahimai. She might have... That might have been a winnable fight for him. And then he dodged uh, Renat Fakhrindinov. He's also fighting later on this card, and that was a big dodge. Max Griffin's going to be an interesting one for him. He's beaten Trevin Giles and Adam Fugit. Uh, Griffin's relatively known at this point in time. Coming off that win over Tim Means, lost to Neil Magny before that, both of those split decisions. Did I think he beat Neil Magny? I might have. Um, I'm going to lean towards Griffin. I think this is the kind of fight that fighters like Michael Morales wind up learning from. But it's not always the kind that they win. Could be wrong about that. How old, hang on, how old is Griffin? I'm changing my mind. Griffin's 37. God, he's my age. I am pathetic in so many ways. I'm going to go with Morales, actually. I, father time might be getting to Griffin. Uh, flyweight, women's side of things. Ariane Lipsky and Melissa Gatto. Uh, Lipsky beat J.J. Aldridge last time out. I did not expect her to do that, actually. Uh, that was her return to flyweight. She had one bantamweight fight against Priscilla Cachuea. Um Gatto. 2-1 in the UFC. Beat, uh, she has wins over Victoria Leonardo and Sejara Eubanks, and then lost to Tracy Cortez. She's been out for a while. She's been out for over a year. Huh. I don't know what's up with that. Decent amount of time off. 
Uh, let me lean towards Lipsky. If she can kind of keep the form that she showed against Aldridge, I think she'll have something here. Uh, lightweight, Ishmael Bonfim and Benoit Saint-Denis. Uh, this is probably going to go badly for Mr. Saint-Denis. Uh, both of the Bonfim brothers are pretty good, and the UFC likes them, so they're going to be a little bit favorable in matchmaking. Um... Yeah, Ishmael... Dude, he hasn't lost since he fought Hanato Moicano in 2014. Good grief. Uh, yeah, he had that brutal flying knee knockout over Terrence McKinney. I'm not trying to tell you Benoit Saint-Denis is a terrible fighter, because I don't think he's bad. Um, in fact, he's 2-1 and one in the UFC. He fought up at welterweight in his debut on kind of short notice. Uh, since then, wins over Nicholas Stoltz and Gabriel, uh, excuse me, Gabriel Miranda. The Miranda win was pretty good. That was in France, but I this feels like bone theme to me. All right, at middleweight we have Uzbek. Ooh, this is Uzbekistan. It is. Um, Nursultan Ruzboyev. Going with Ruziboyev until I hear otherwise, and I apologize for my occasionally bad accent when I pronounce some of these names. Lusultan Ruziboyev. Okay. I, I promise I won't do that <laughs> very often. Uh, he's got a good overall record. He's coming into the UFC kind of late, actually. 34-8-2. You come in with almost 50 fights. Yeah, 44 fights. Jeez. How old is he? He's only 29. That man has been busy. Uh, this is his UFC debut. He's been fighting mostly. Uh, WEF, Smokmot, ACB. That's all kind of normal. What are you? Uh, don't know that promotion, but number of fights there. Yeah, he's not lost. Dude, his last loss was 2019, and that was three, it was eight fights ago. He likes to stay busy, I guess. Good. He's had a rough. He's had some occasional rough stretches too. So this guy's been up and down. Well, how many no contests does he have? Hang on. Because that's gonna. That's one, two. Okay, so toss two no contests into that number I just threw at you. What did I say before? 40, so 46 pro fights. That's just a lot, man. <laughs> Big guy, though. 6'4". He's fighting Bruno Fajera. Uh, who is 10-0. A couple of fights in the UFC? Just the one. Uh, he beat... Oh, yeah! He got into that wild fight with Gregory Rodriguez and uh, was able to stop him in the first round. That was, yeah, that was a wild fight. I'm actually going to go with the, uh, the, the Uzbek guy here. Uh, I'm going I'm to go with Uzboyev. 
I don't know. Look, Fajera is young enough and might be able to make some good strides, but I don't know. Just that's a hunch. That's my hunch. My hunch of the week. Uh, we have that's the main card. On the prelims, we have the return of Kevin Lee. He left the UFC somewhat unceremoniously a while ago. Uh, 2021, after losing to Daniel Rodriguez. He had one fight in um, Eagle FC, beat Diego Sanchez at 165. Then Eagle FC kind of shut down. So he hasn't fought, yes, over a year. Uh, he is back and he is fighting Renat Fakrandinov. This is a rough welcome back. Kevin Lee is 30. He's got a lot of physical tools. I Here's the thing, man. I have not loved him at welterweight. Um, it, what's he done at welterweight? Lost to Rafael Dos Anjos. He's in this weight a bunch. I mean, I don't know that he can make lightweight reliably, but I don't think he's figured out how to fight as a welterweight yet. And that's that's a whole other thing. I'm actually going to pick Fakrandinov here. Might be very, very wrong. But, again, Lee at welterweight has yet to really... I think he's yet to really find his stride. And Fakrandinov is... Dude, he's 21-2. and two. He just... 2-0 and oh in the UFC. Um, he has come forward... Tough wrestler. He might get out wrestled by Lee, but again, man, Lee at welterweight. I, I don't know. It just it hasn't looked great. So might be very wrong, but that's where I'm going with this one. So take that for what it is. Uh, let's see. I think we lost this fight between Drew Anderson Brito and Weston Wilson. Nope, that's here. Okay, this is bout order difference issues. Um, how's Brito been doing? 14, 3 and 1, 2 and 1 in the UFC. Won his last two. Lost to Bill Algio. That's a tough draw for your debut. Oh, he stopped Andre Feely. I remember that. Beat Lucas Alexander. Okay, he's looked pretty good. Wilson, I think this is his UFC debut. He's 16 and 7. Went 0-3 in, in uh, LFA. Let's see. Has a loss to Teruto Ishihara in 2022. That's not a great sign. On a three-fight winning streak. Not nothing. Yeah, I think I'm going to pick Brito there. Let's see, Yana Santos and Carol Hosa. This is at women's featherweight for no reason. Santos on a two-fight losing streak got stopped by Irene Aldana. Couldn't do much against Holly Holm. Hosa, Hosa is one of those ones I don't think can make 135. Um, I don't know, can she? I stand corrected. I guess she can. Oh, sorry. It was Norma Dumont, someone else she fought recently, who I 
don't think can make one for, uh, 135. Also, apparently can. She's fought at both weight classes. Um, let me go with Hosa. I don't know. Yana, Yana's not looked. She's she struggled lately. I don't know. Lightweight, uh, Gurum Kuta Deladze and Elvis Brenner. Ooh. Mr. Brenner, you are, you walked into a world of hurt here, my friend. Um... He's fought in the UFC before. Yeah. Had a win against Zubaira Tuhugov. Split decision. But, uh... Yeah. Levitt made more... With, Jordan Levitt made more sense for him as an opponent. Um, Gurum Kutateladze is... That dude is a hammer. He's 12-3 and three overall. One and one in the UFC. He beat Mateusz Gamrod in both of their UFC debuts. Split decision, but I thought he won. Lost a split to Demiris Magulov. Another very competitive fight. Since then, he's lost. He's had fights fall out against Tiago Moises and Jamie Malarkey. I I don't have a lot of problem picking Kuta uh, Deladze here. That that's probably going to go badly for Brenner. Uh, women's flyweight. Ivana Petrovich and Luana Carolina. Uh, Carolina has lost to Molly McCann, Joanne Wood, Ariane Lipsky. She's what? 3-3 three and three overall in the UFC? Wins over Priscilla Cachuea, Poliana Botelho, and Lupita Godinez. Um, Petrovich, I believe this is her UFC debut. She is... I might be pronouncing that wrong. She's Croatian. Um... Still, I'm still going with Petrovich, but again, that might not be correct, so I'll have to wait. She's only 6-0. and That's rough. Um, do you have that junior in your career? Oh, Carolina's not exactly a world beater. I'm going to go with Carolina, but I'm prepared to be very wrong about that one. And I believe kicking everything off, we have heavyweights, Alexander Romanov and Blagoy Ivanov. So, Mr. Romanov was hot. He was the talk of the town for a bit. Came in, ran over a bunch of guys, Roki Martinez, Marcos Rogerio de Lima, Juan Espino. He should have lost that fight. Jared Vandera, Chase Sherman. Then he fought Marcin Tabora and... In fairness to Romanov, that probably should have been a draw, but it was a majority win for Tabora. Then he fight, so he puts on a little bit of. Did he lose? Where did he lose weight? I forget which one it was. Changed his body type, fought Alexander Volkov, and Volkov beat the crap out of him. So now on a two-fight losing streak. Uh. He needs to rebound badly. I don't know that Blagoy Ivanov is the guy you want to try and rebound against. Ivanov's coming off of a loss to Taborda. He had a couple of split decisions that he probably should have got the nod in. I thought he beat Derek Lewis. Uh, the Sakai fight, I don't rec- the Sakai fight, I don't recall being uh, too up in arms either way. Um, we'll have to- this is going to tell us where Romanov is. If he's still got it. He can win this fight. 
if he's still kind of a one-round wonder who fit, who collapses under pressure, uh, Ivanov might have something for him. So I'm going to lean towards Romanov, but if you go on a three-fight skid after the hype he'd built, that's, that can be a problem. Like that That's you like losing confidence. That's you losing your way in a big respect. That's rough. Uh, he needs a win here pretty badly in that respect. All right, that's where the card currently stands. Uh, yeah, so Saturday. I will be covering this in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. Stop by, say hello. Always appreciate that. Alrighty. <sighs> I don't want to talk about this. I really don't. But... It made news, and it's stupid, but it's got traction, and now I have to talk about it. So, two of the wealthier men in the world, two tech oligarchs, if you will, somehow started making noise about wanting to fight each other. So, Mark Zuckerberg who has lost a good chunk of money after and is burning through piles of it over with a, that meta thing. And Elon Musk, majority owner of Tesla, owner of Twitter, yada, 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 both said, like, yeah, why not? We'll get into a fist fight. Like, I don't even know where this came from. I saw it. It spun up. Somebody said something. And then the other guy said, yeah, okay. And, like, just suddenly here we are. Talking about this, this is not going to happen. Well, Dana White jumped on it and said, yeah, that would be the biggest fight in human history. That's debatable. Bear in mind, Mr. Dana White, we don't do gimmicks here. And when somebody called him on that BS, by the way, his response was, you dumbo, you don't know what a gimmick is. A gimmick fight is a box is an MMA fighter going to boxing and losing. We've seen that. This would be the biggest fight ever. Like, my man, do you have no concept of the English language? There's not a bigger gimmick than watch these two famous billionaires who don't know how to fight fight each other. This is a gimmick. By definition, this is a gimmick. It's one that might work. But it's a gimmick. What do gimmick fights here? Here's CM Punk. Here's James Tully. Piss off. You know what gets me about this? This is all promoters, not just Dana White. What gets me is not just that they're liars. That's part of the job. It's the hip. It's the hypocrisy. I can tolerate you lying more consistently, more than I can tolerate your two-faced wishy-washy nonsense. The, the hypocrisy is what gets me. It, it really just kind of galls at me. But he's saying, yeah, they're serious. We're going to try and make it happen. So now I have to talk about it. Okay. So let's do this. To anyone going, Zuckerberg will just run him over. He might. Mark Zuckerberg is like 20 years younger than Elon Musk. To all of you people, however, doing the, well, Mark Zuckerberg trains. 
Mark Zuckerberg does a facsimile of training. And I don't even blame him for it. Let's just back up for half a second. Because you might have just taken serious offense for some reason. I can tell you why you might be taking serious offense. Because because everything is the culture war. I'm basing this on the United States. Because that's where I live and that's how this stuff happens. If you're not familiar with the culture war, it started in the late 80s. It's In theory, it's been going on forever, but it really picked up steam in the 80s, and then it, that's when it kind of got going. Then it really gained traction in the 90s, and the culture war is the notion that there are things, independent, someone independent of politics, in theory, that are important to society to culture, to the foundational principles upon which things are based, and we fight over these things, and this is the culture war. Because the United States of America bifurcated into a two-party fallacy, which is a whole other thing, but suffice to say, the fact that there are only two uh, viable political parties in the United States, giant problem, set that aside, whole other discussion, it does mean that when culture war issues would come up, one side of the only of the political aisle in the United States would go on one side of it, and one side would go on the other. And now we've entrenched culture war BS into politics. What does all this mean? Why am I bringing this up? As far as like why I know some I might have offended some people. Well, because during the pandemic. Mark Zuckerberg did things as the owner of Facebook, or majority, uh, what I, I forget what exactly his relationship to it, is to it these days, but just, let me say owner for the sake of simplicity, CEO, whatever. Put forth policies in place that, I'll say which side of which aisle, please don't get offended. He went about handling Facebook in a manner that generally people on the left side of the, the fact that the fact that how covid was governed and handled became a culture war issue another is another issue like this whole stupid thing has now like encompassed everything else we do and it, again it's really stupid but in a way that the left side of the political aisle which became very very uh, pro-government and pro-lockdown and pro a lot of stuff and didn't like people talking and didn't like dissenting opinions and please label this stuff misinformation because people are saying things that are contrary to the theoretical scientific consensus, never mind that the only way scientific consensus was maintained in this instance was by ignoring a bunch of people and I'm not even saying that, uh, sorry, this is gonna, this might get me in trouble. Because the way that was handled, and I have a rant about the right side of the political aisle too, by the way, and a bunch of the idiots over there. What do you, what do you mean? No, this whole, no, this is a serious new illness that needs disease that needs to be taken seriously, and a bunch of you people aren't. Should it be taken seriously? Should we all be locked in our homes for 14 days, except for the essential people? And what's essential? Well, the lowest paid. Or the highest paid, and never mind that none of these rules actually apply to our overlo- our elected overlords. Again, I the way that whole thing happened, I have a lot of 
frustration built up at both sides, everyone about that. But Zuckerberg came down on the side of on a side of things that aligned with again the theoretical left side of the aisle here in America. And Elon Musk, not happy with how a lot of this was going, and how Twitter was handling itself, and boy, do, look, you may not love Twitter under Musk. I've not had the issues other people have had, but I'm not saying they're lying. Just saying that's not been my experience, but I know other people who have, so whatever. But he was not wrong as far as what Twitter was doing, in some respects. So he bought Twitter, and in a move that annoyed a lot of people on the left, who were already maybe a little bit pro-Zuckerberg, said it was going to be a started doing and saying things and conducting that platform in a way that more people theoretically aligned with the right were in favor of. So now, again, we have this kind of clash. So when I say what Zuck does is a facsimile of training, if you're inclined to think well of him, I may have just offended you, and I'm trying not to. Let me explain. Mark Zuckerberg is worth like $60 billion dollars. He's kind of important to running stuff. When you are not only wealthy, but important to the maintaining of elements, you don't conduct yourself like everyone else, and there's a degree to which you should not. There's security risks with Mark Zuckerberg. He, he's not going to go to an open mat. If somebody over there gets something into their head that I don't like this guy, let me make a point. That could happen. That happened, dude. That happens to people who don't. I'd say don't matter because that's really disingenuous and insulting. That happens to people who are not worth sixty billion dollars, in charge of Meta or Facebook or whatever it's called. I forget the corporation's name. So it might happen to him. So his training is super controlled to the extent that he trains. Why do I say to the extent that he trains? There's video of him doing stuff. You can watch it. If you know what you're looking at, you know what's going on. So I'm going to steal a little bit liberally from uh, the Hard to Hurt YouTube channel here because I like the way um, Mike, who runs it, put this. If you want to liken training to something else, let's d- assign the d- degrees here of what's going on. The average per- the average fighter going to train to fight professionally is hunting. And depending on where you go, you're hunting with like a knife instead of a, a gun. But you go out into the wilderness and you fend for yourself. You hunt by the strength of your arm and the sweat of your brow. Then there's, you know, the Taibo classes or whatnot, or cardio kickboxing, which is a little bit like if we're using animals here in your relationship to them. It's like going to the zoo. I don't even object. I don't object to training that way as long as you know what you're doing. You're not going to the zoo to hunt. You're going to the zoo. I don't even object to zoos. Provided they are run appropriately and ethically, conservation, they can have great conservation effects. Uh, They are great educational tools, like, I don't. Obje- I know there are some people like we shouldn't have any zoos. Like, yeah, not saying you're making the dumbest argument in the world. I'm saying I disagree with it. But a pure facsimile of what you're doing is if you 
if you go take a cardio kickboxing class, like you don't know how to fight. You don't know how to fight at all. You have burned a lot of calories and you're trying to get in shape and fair. Not knocking that one iota. But that's what you're doing. You're not fighting. If what, Zucker, what Zuckerberg is doing is not going to the zoo, he is, what was it Mike said, on safari. It's You're going, you're hunting, but there's a bunch of people there who actually know what they're doing and they're going to walk you through it. And you get some of the experience without any of the real danger and without it. Like, um, what's another thing that people do in the same vein? Oh, okay. So the wealthy people who want to have the facsimile of physical accomplishment and joining the military, they're not actually going to join the military. They'll pay a lot of money to have some former either drill sergeant or drill instructor, whether that's you know, um, Army or Marine Corps. I forget what they call them in the Navy. Whatever. They'll pay a lot of money to have a few former Army personnel who have done this yell at them and put them through, a fa- again, like a some loose approximation of military training. You're not military ready. You come out of one of those things. You're not a soldier. You've just had a rough facsimile coached through by people who actually know what they're doing. That's what Zuckerberg does when he trains. Watch him, I beg of you. You can see it. And if you can't see it, I can't help you. You don't know what you're looking at. Look at some of his jujitsu stuff. Like He's being walked through positions by known people, not necessarily taught. Other Look, a lot of famous people have started doing some of this. Some guys have done this. Uh, the, I'm not going to say the right way. That's because... Look, if you're Mark Zuckerberg, you don't want to go to an open mat. You don't want to go to a class where somebody might do something stupid. You're rich. You're important to the running of your business. You're not going to risk your health that way. And you don't. And frankly, your ego doesn't want to take the hit. Can we just do. Can we just say this out loud? One of the re, of reason, a big reason for some people, they don't actually train, is training especially early, it crushes your ego. Crushes it. And I don't, not even necessarily in a bad way, and not even necessarily, I don't mean that there's like a bunch of gym bullies there who are just going to insult you and take advantage of you. There are th- Those exist. But for the most part, you go in, you start training, you don't know what you're doing. Best case scenario, you think you know what you're doing. And you will be disabused of those notions very quickly. Actually, this almost, believe it or not, this almost kind of gets worse when you actually get better. Because, let me give you an example. Like, why don't more jujitsu schools train realistic self-defense stuff? Because it's not ego-affirming. It is not ego-affirming if you are a black belt to pull guard on somebody thinking you have control and then have them pull a knife out and stab you repeatedly, even in practice. Not ego-affirming. 
if you're Zuckerberg, you want to feel good about yourself. And look, in theory, training does make you feel good about yourself once you start getting on the other side of what you think you know, and you start actually learning and applying it. But it's a process, and it takes time, and it takes sweat, and it hurts. It really hurts. And you're going to get dinged around. You're going to get... Your fingers are going to get busted up. Your nose is probably going to get broken. You're going to get bloodied. You're going to get cut. You're probably going to get concussed. Maybe not badly, but you're going to get hit in the head a fair amount of times. And your body's going to be sore, and your legs are going to hurt, and your shins are going to hurt, and you're going to limp around, and you're going to have to explain bruises. And that's how this goes. He doesn't want that. And, again... I'm not even saying I blame the guy. If I were in his position, I might be making the exact same decisions he's making. Because the risk management that he has to assess is wildly different from you or me, assuming you are not a billionaire. And so watch what he does. Watch some of his jujitsu. It's somebody talking him through stuff. Watch his striking, it's painful. But it's either stuff of him hitting pads, when, and if you're hitting pads and the, other, the guy who's holding them for you knows what he's doing, he's very rarely berating you, or she. You're very rarely getting berated. Unless you're doing something really stupid repeatedly. It's a lot of, you know, bop, bop, bop. Hey, not bad. Shift this, do it again, do it again, shift this, do it again, shift this. It... And there's a bit of that. Like, you can see him do some sparring rounds with like professional fighters. It's a little comical. Because watch the fighters. Sometimes they're actively talking him through what they're what to what to do. And I'm gonna make an ugly comparison here, and I'm not making a moral equivalent between the two parties. But Watch some of the stuff with Ramzan Kadyrov screwing around with fighters. Like, they're letting him win. Now, obviously, there may, there's not necessarily the same hazard to your life with Zuckerberg as with as if you get uppity with Kadyrov. Like, if Kamzat Shemaev had decided, no, I'm not going to let you take me down, I'm going to throw you on your head, I'm going to punch you in the face 18 times... You shatter the ego of a dictator, especially one with his track record, that ends badly for you. Probably doesn't, so if, you're, if Mark Zuckerberg is paying you a boatload of money to spar with him so he can feel good about himself, you probably just take the cash, especially if you're a fighter who needs the money. But... Again, if you watch some of his sparring, a lot of his sparring is also done with jujitsu guys who don't know how to punch. And he reacts badly when he gets hit. Because he's not been hitting the head really hard. Um, somebody said this about CM Punk, too. Uh, I'm not going to say... Look, CM Punk did his MMA training at uh, Rufus Sport, Duke Rufus's gym in um, Milwaukee. I'm not saying that Rufus Sport is a soft gym. It's absolutely not. I am saying... Somebody else said this. It might have been Jack Slack or other people made this observation. If somebody like CM Punk wanted decided he wanted to go train and spar, 
I imagine Duke Rufus was accommodating. I'm not saying he treated him with kid gloves. I'm saying Rufus has been around the block. And Punk wanted to do that legitimately. But there's also like Duke Rufus's thought process and style about how he trains people. That's a bit more accommodating of someone like Punk wanting to try it. CM Punk would not have gone to King's MMA with Rafael Cordero. He would have got through one sparring class, maybe, and said, no, I'm out. Because that's how Rafael Cordero conducts his, tr- his sparring sessions, their fights. If you don't know, Rafael Cordero was the one of the guys behind the original shootbox gym. Uh, he, this is part of his ethos. He likes you to have fights, basically, when you spar. If someone like CM Punk were to go in there, he would have found out very quickly, probably not for him. And look, there's a there's a wild cost on the other side of that. That is not good for your health. If you're Rafael Cordero and you only want to train fighters, you so, you separate the wheat from the chaff pretty quickly having that ethos in your gym. So take that for whatever it's worth. Like Mark Zuckerberg is not going to go to a big gym or a serious trainer and do hard sparring. Like, I doubt he's ever been hit really hard in the head. And look, man, if you're in his position, why are you risking your brain health on this? So you do the facsimile, you get into a little bit better shape. You have fun. Like, look, I, when I said there's all those physical consequences to training, there are. It's fun. Like, that's part of the reason you do it. Like, there are benefits. And... I mean, here's the last thing on like Zuckerberg's training before I move on to a little bit more stuff with this. Like, to anyone who's out there yelling at me, like as I kind of disparage how he's gone about this, and bear in mind when I say disparage, like he's just not very good, and. If you know what you're looking at with some of the footage he's released, it's very, very obvious. If your response to me is he won a jiu-jitsu tournament, I beg of you to look at the quality of that. Let me... Okay. I'm going to say two things about the kind of tournament that he won. And this is applicable to jiu-jitsu, sort of boxing depending on just how small we're getting. Karate, competition, like, whatever. Pick your combat sport. I don't care. What he did was win a was win in a small local tournament. This does not mean he's good. You might say, but he's got to, you know, he won. Yes. You can win without being good, believe it or not. <laughs> um... I mean, didn't he also lose one, too? And then his PR team came out and said, no, 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 he was not unconscious in the guillotine. Or there was a video clip. I don't remember. I don't care that much. But those small local tournaments, let me tell you their value, then I'm going to tell you why they're worthless. The value of those tournaments is as follows. One, to anyone just on a martial arts journey, 
it is a valuable thing to go compete. It is a valuable thing to get out of your comfort zone and compete against people you don't know. It is valuable to see what the competitive format looks like. It is valuable to test your growth and to grow from what you go through there. Again, I don't care what your sport, what your martial art of choice is here. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. That's their value. And that value to the individual... Okay, minor caveat. You will on occasion see talented people go there at the beginning of the journey or when they're looking at... Like, if they're seriously considering turning pro or taking this again to a different level and their coach just wants to get them a little bit of competition experience or something similar to it. You occasionally get very good people or guys who will go on to become very good starting at the very beginning there. And that has value too. For the most part, the people who show up there are not world-class. I don't know where you live. My hunch, if you go to a local jiu-jitsu tournament or a karate tournament or, you know quasi-amateur night at boxing, or again, whatever. The vast majority of people they're competing are not top tier. They are going through their personal journey, and that is admirable. They are competing. There's ad- That is a valuable thing. That's the value of these tournaments. I'll say the same thing about Tom Hardy, whose training I actually take more seriously. If you've never seen the footage of Tom Hardy sparring, like, he actually knows what he's doing a little bit. Like, Tom Hardy won a jiu-jitsu, uh, you know, local jiu-jitsu tournament. Oh, you, good for him. Not saying it's nothing, and the man, you know, he's put in time. You can watch him roll, and he looks about the level that, of the belt he's wearing. So, you know, good. But, you know, again, what rank... Where is it happening? He's just testing himself. That's the value of the local tournament. That's the value. Full stop. That's also why they're kind of worthless. Because if what you're looking at and looking for is high level, is stuff that's either cutting edge or seeing people who are exceptionally talented... They're not there. There's a handful... You, you can find the big tournaments that they go to. That's not what we're talking about. You can... Because, again, these are not the same thing. Like, he... Again, he won a local jiu-jitsu tournament or match. That's not nothing. But... He's not winning, like, a qualifier for a major tournament. He's not participating in a major tournament. He's, in theory, on something approximating a martial arts journey. And that's fine. If that's what you're doing, and if that, and if you know that's what you're doing. Like, I mean, I've been to some of these things. Not as a competitor, I haven't... I actually need... It would do me good to go compete. Because, again, like... To push myself, because I don't want to be in a full-on rut to see where I am relative to people I don't know, to get out of my comfort zone. Like, that's... There's value to that. I'm not under any illusion here about it being anything other than that. What you get for winning that, like... 
the little trophies or medallions they hand out, they're not... The only value they have is as a representation of what you did to get them. The vast majority of these, that's all they are. You compete to grow. That's the value. When I say it's worthless, it's largely worthless at talent assessment. It's a, it is an objectively poor achievement if we put these things on an objective scale rather than your subjective journey. They happen all the time. They're attended by a lot of people who are just figuring out what they're doing. They're not very good. And nobody cares. And that's, those are the two truths about local martial arts, whatever your martial art is, events or tournaments. That's the truth. And you go for yourself, but it understand how little it means in anything approximating objective reality. So, look, if this stupid thing happens, yeah, is Zuckerberg going to win? Probably. Here's the caveat. So, you guys may not remember this, but I do. You remember a few years ago when there was, like, talk of Tom Cruise and, and Justin Bieber getting into a fight? Like, they wanted to have a fight? And most people look at the age disparity because it's a number of decades in favor of Bieber being the younger man, more in his prime. Probably more physically fit than Tom Cruise at Tom Cruise's age. Here's the thing about Tom Cruise. And why he might have won that fight. Because he's crazy. And when I say he's crazy, that's not an insult. Like, if he said, okay, I'm going to fight you, what do you think Tom Cruise would do? Would Tom Cruise hire fighters to come soft soft pedal him? My hunch was what Tom Cruise would do. He would find someone of repute and say, I'm going to get into a fist fight with Justin Bieber. Here's the date. What do I have to do to win? And if he went to a reputable coach, the coach is going to tell him the truth. You're going to come to the gym. You're going to come twice a day, three a day sometimes. We're going to fix your diet a little bit. And you're going to get the crap beat out of you. You're going to get hit. You're going to get bloody. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get concussed. You're going to feel sore. And we're going to treat you like anyone else. Because that's the, like, the way to build fighters is not exactly lost art. There's some stuff that you can argue has been lost over time. If you look at like how several old school trainers wouldn't actually pass on wisdom. If you want to go down that particular rabbit hole. But in general, fighting is a skill. You build skill through repetition. If we're talking about fighting, you have to spar. And it has to be a, an approximation of what the real thing is going to be. It doesn't have to be full. Look, you don't have to be sparring at 70%. Okay. If you've never really been hit, and look, man, again, Mark Zuckerberg, that dude has never really been hit. Not in his not in his adult life. And if you've never been hit, if you've never been hit hard in the nose, if the first time that happens to you is in a real fight, you're screwed. You are just screwed. 
So, Tom Cruise is crazy enough to do, okay, I'll do it. I will do whatever it takes to win. And I don't think Bieber would. I think he would do the approximation thing. So the question you have to ask yourself is, look, Elon Musk is like 20 years older, more out of shape if we're talking about right now. But is Elon Musk crazy enough to say, okay, I will devote six to eight months of my life to doing this authentically and the right way versus Zuckerberg doing the approximation and having like, because a bunch of fighters have said, sure, I'll train you. Like, so let's say Zuckerberg goes to train with one of the guys that offered I don't know, I think John Jones did. I think it was kind of the funny thing, like John, and then like George St. Pierre offered to train Elon Musk. Like, you think John Jones is going to put Mark Zuckerberg through hell? Because training camps suck. You think he's going to put him through that? John might be willing to, because John, John's a little out there himself. But do you think Zuckerberg will do it? You know, what happens the first time you yell at him? If you've never been around a training camp, like there's a lead, the head coach style pursuant, there's a little bit of variance here, but the first time, the first time that coach has to get on him, I mean, really get on him. Like, how's that go? So is Elon Musk crazy enough to say, okay, noted fighter, George St. Pierre, maybe I can get, you, you get me a good jujitsu, get me John Danaher, get me, a good striking. I mean, George knows Freddie Roach. So get me Freddie Roach for boxing. And like, get me a, give me a couple of guys who really know what they're doing and treat me like anyone else because that's the only way to actually get good at this. Is he crazy enough to do that? He might be. And the reality is, if Zuckerberg trains the way he trains right now, for a real fight, he's going to get run over by someone who's trained the real way, even if they're not very good. If all Musk does is what Zuck does in like a rough facsimile, then Zuckerberg's younger, a little more athletic, and has trained longer. He'll win. To say nothing of how stupid this entire conversation is, it's not happening. You want to know how I know it's not happening? I can give, I can tell you this very quickly. Because we live in a stupid world, you might think that means it's more likely to happen. No, 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 no. You see, you're not thinking about just how stupid the world is. Here's how stupid the world is and why this won't happen. Say they're both actually serious about this. Let's just step into that reality for half a second. Where the individuals are serious about this. Their handlers, might be the wrong phrase, people around them are going to grab them by the collar and say, No, you idiot. Do you know what happens to our stock value if you go out there and get your ass kicked? Think about that. I'm not joking. The stock market does stupid things, and it controls a lot. It influences a lot. So if those two go out there, and let's just say, Elon, let's, either way, but like let's just say hypothetically Elon Musk wins. Zuckerberg's been putting out videos of him training. He's been before, con- like, the value of Meta 
goes down if he loses the fight. Think about that. This is stupid, but that's reality. If you think I'm joking, let me flash back to the last World Cup, if y'all don't mind. Cristiano Ronaldo steps up after after Portugal wins one of the games. And on the table are um, a water bottle and I think like an empty Coke can. Because Coke pays to be there. And they paid a lot of money to be there on that table. He takes the Coke can, puts it down, takes a drink of water, and just, you know, just ah, agua. Do you know what happened to the stock, to the value of Coke stock because Ronaldo took that can of Coke away from its, the position it paid to be in? Do you know what happened to its stock? You can look it up. If you think I'm lying, look it up. This is how stupid this is. So the stupidity of two out of shape, and I'll go with Zuckerberg actually being a little bit more in shape, but these two weird, stupidly wealthy people deciding they want to have something approximating a fight. Yes, the world is stupid enough for that to happen. The world is not stupid enough to let all the stupid repercussions of that happening happen. Because it would have stupid repercussions. That's the stupid world we live in. And I know I just said stupid a lot, but it's the most appropriate adjective. So, again, Dana White saying, I'm going to make this happen. He printed out a shirt. He he desperately wants this to happen. One, because he's a carnival barker on his good days. Two, because it might actually drum up interest in something he's doing. The, the, here's the problem with someone like Dana White. One of the worst things you can do to someone who feels that he is the perpetual underdog, he or she. What happens when they win? You know, that famous quote about Alexander the Great weeping for there are no more worlds to conquer. Like, Dana doesn't have anyone big. He's only punching down now. Which he's never objected to doing, by the way. He's been that level of petty for a long time. I've been talking about this for far too long. But he doesn't have another mountain to climb. Like, the UFC is a billion-dollar company. It's been, like, sold for billions. It's being spun together with the WWE and a company whose valuation currently sits around $20 billion. They generate over a billion dollars in revenue each year. They're probably going to be at fi- they're on track for this year to be over $400 million in profit, probably $500 million in profit, not in revenue, profit in 2024. Like, congratulations, man, you won. You're on ESPN. You're on ABC. You're not the little guy anymore. Nobody's looking down their nose at you that isn't just going to do that no matter what you do. And he's been checked out mentally for a while, and it's painfully obvious. And he tried the power slap thing and the fact that everyone laughed at that. It annoyed him, so he started punching down again. But nobody cares about power slap. It's stupid. And now it's like, hey... This might be fun, so I'll feel a little bit of kick of energy, and people are going to say it's stupid, so I get to 
bring back a little bit of fire and brimstone and this sheer and this will generate look man if this happens and it shouldn't but if it happens i'm not calling this the biggest fight in human history it's ridiculous like you can make the argument if you talk about like very skewed metrics I'm not going to pretend that this stupid thing doesn't generate interest because we have a stupid war. I've already said that. This would, in fact, generate interest. I'm not pretending that it won't. I'm saying... Dude, if if the losing... Even if the stock takes a small hit, a small hit for whoever loses this, that's a lot of money. That's so much money. This is a waste of everyone's time, including mine, and I've had to talk about it for the last, oh, jeez, too long. Looked at my timestamps. I will not be addressing this again. Unless or until it actually happens. This is my last, so my last word on this. It's a giant waste of everyone's time. The only question you have to ask yourself is, is either, uh, is Zuckerberg serious enough about this to adjust his training from safari mode hunting to serious hunting in the rain and the wind with the sticks and the bugs and the small probability of success and the large amount of physical discomfort? Or is Musk crazy enough to say, you know what, I'm over 50 and I'm a little bit out of shape, but if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. So find me a couple of people and I will commit myself to the process of turning, of trying to become a real fighter. Because whoever's willing to actually do this seriously, this is one of the, this is one of the very few things I have said for a while about both Paul brothers, but um, Jake in particular. If you talk with the people around him, he was never training as a facsimile of boxing training. He took his training seriously, and that's why he beat a lot of people. Because he beat people who didn't. And he beat some people who did. <laughs> you know, I don't think Tyron Woodley half-assed it. But he took it seriously. And... That pays, man. If you want to be a fighter, you take it seriously. That pays. That there will be demonstrable benefits to that method. You go the other way, you wind up looking like an idiot. You end up doing a facsimile of training. And dude, there are people who can't even handle the facsimile. Let me just say that. There are people out there. Okay, if you want to know what I mean when I say that. I'm going to have to bring up something that I don't want to talk about a lot. So, but so the, um, the like charity boxing thing for internet personalities, they call it creator clash because most of these people know a modicum of storytelling and how to be on camera. They do like the pre-fight hype packages and they have the people talk about the journey and what it's been like training. I guarantee a good chunk of them did the facsimile thing without a modicum of, like, the wealth or risk that, like, Zuckerberg takes. Uh, has, and then consequently would take. And you can see them, most of them aren't good enough actors to fake it. They're talking about how hard it is. 
and again for a lot of them like you're doing facsimile training and you can see that because look what happened when they actually fought so yeah this is a giant waste of everyone's time everyone's time and that's where we're leaving it all right i talked way too long about that and i feel badly for having done so really bad so my apologies for wasting everyone's time in that respect all right let's move on so very briefly um rosanama Yunus moving to flyweight interesting move for her i'm actually curious to see how that plays out and she will fight manon fior cool um that's a big jump for her at flyweight right away I don't know how her physicality works at flyweight. She's always been kind of longer and taller on the strawweight side of things, but um, running into more phys physically stronger women for her might be a problem. Uh, we're gonna find uh, we're gonna find out. I'm curious about that. Very curious. Um, th and that's a stiff test, man. Fior had claimed to a title shot. She's that looks that good. Uh, moving on. So let's talk about Saudi Arabia for a second, shall we? So rumor has it Saudi Arabia is trying to set up a boxing promotion. And they're trying to lure people over and they're willing to pay a lot of money because they have it. So the rumor going around is they want to have a big blowout boxing card end of the year. And on this card, they want to have the following three fights. Tyson Fury versus Alexander Usyk to unify the heavyweight titles. Oh, to, sorry, to make them unified and undisputed. Technically, Usyk is the unified champion. Fury has one of the belts, and then when you have all the belts, you're undisputed. If you have two or if you have more than one, you're unified. Terminology. Um, I would love to see that fight. I'm trying to make it happen. Um, Anthony Joshua versus Deontay Wilder. Which is a fight that's been... People have talked about that one for a long time. And for various reasons, it didn't happen. And Derek Chisora, former... Is he a heavyweight champion? I know he's challenged for a few different belts. And Francis Ngannou. Now... I don't... There's... There's two... Potential guys that... I shouldn't say only two. There's a few guys that I'd be interested in seeing in Ganu fight if he's going to box. Because he has celebrity status, it's probably... You can't go, like, down the like low end of heavyweights. But there's a few guys that are good enough, have enough track record in boxing, but are either flawed or broken down enough to make the fight somewhat interesting. Chisora is on the wrong side of his career. He's Look, he's had a pretty good career. I'm not knocking the guy. I'm saying he's past his prime. That makes that interesting, and if Nganu were to beat Chisora, it would set up any another fight next a little bit easier. Uh, and Deontay Wilder was still talking about you know, doing the two fights with Ngannou, first one boxing, second one MMA, so there's there's ways this could still go. I very much doubt we get that card. It's not that boxing's incapable of giving fans what they want. Boxing's had a pretty darn good year, honestly. Especially we got, like, Bud... Uh, 
Bud Crawford and Errol Spence Jr. coming up. Oh, yes, please. Boxing's been delivering this year. There's still some stuff that we can't seem to get because we can't have nice things. Um, oh, we also on the boxing front, like um, Canelo Alvarez is going to fight uh, Jermall Charlo, I don't, I think is the one in that weight class. Would rather watch him fight David Benavidez. Um, but you've also got David Morrell Jr. in that. Is he Jr.? Yeah, David Morrell Jr. in that weight class. There's a few guys now that have come up at um, super middleweight, 168, that are might give him a run for his money. I'm not sure Charlo is one of them. <sighs> that said, man, you that Canelo's slowing down a little bit. I think that's I don't think that's a disputed proposition. The question is, you know, is he still good enough to beat very good guys? Because that last fight he had, the one he had on um Cinco de Mayo, right around there in Mexico, he couldn't stop that guy. He beat him up, and he won the a wide decision. But a couple of years ago, Canelo would have stopped that guy inside of four. Um, that was like the skill disparity on display. But, you know, he's slowing a little bit. Happens to everybody. So I, I kind of doubt that even though, even with boxing's um, willingness to kind of get fans on their good side this year, Giving all three of those fights, even with some of the money that the Saudis are known to throw around, I don't know. That seems like a long shot to me. All right. Uh, that is what I've got for news. Let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy has happened. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. All right. Nope, nothing crazy. So, plugs. This week on Dan, last week on Damn You Hollywood, sorry last week, we reviewed Elemental because it came out and Mark threw a hissy fit about not wanting to change the schedule to accommodate for the Flash. So we're reviewing it this week, despite the fact that no one will care this week. Everyone who turns out, everyone who saw that movie already saw it. Uh, so everyone who was going to see that movie saw it on opening weekend, and we're going to review it this week. And, yeah, this is the first time in a long time I get to take a moral stance against a movie. <laughs> I haven't done that in, I've argued quality, and I will argue quality here because it's crap. I've argued crazy behind-the-scenes stuff. I I have never, I don't, it, never? Not in a really, really, really long time. Have I come out and said, this movie, objectively, morally, ethically, should not exist. And it probably doesn't speak well of you if you like it. <laughs> That's going to be something. So, yeah. This Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern, Damn You Hollywood, The Flash. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as for... Other stuff, my usual spate of professional wrestling coverage. Uh, MLW Fusion on Thursday, then WWE SmackDown on Friday. This is the go-home show for Money in the Bank, which will be on Saturday, which I will not be covering because I will be covering uh, the UFC event. So, UFC event on Saturday. Tune in for any and all of that. You can find my written work in, uh, over at 4 either the wrestling or MMA zones. Give that a listen. 
a read. Or listen, I don't know. We might have a text-to-speech thing that helps. I don't know. You might have a device or an app or an extension that does that. I don't know. However you consume. Thank you very, very much. Appreciate it. All right. We will be back here next week to review UFC on a on ESPN 48. It's late. Bear with me. And we will preview UFC 290. Finally, a good card. Alexander Volkanovsky versus Yair Rodriguez. Brandon Moreno versus Alexandre Pantoja. Robert Whitaker, Drickus Duplessis. Jalen Turner and Dan Hooker. I don't even hate Bo Nickel and Treshawn Gore. This is a really good main card. Prelims, what do we got? Robbie Lawler and Nico Price. Sean Brady and JDM. Jack Della Maddalena. Mmm. That's good. Okay, it falls off after that. But <laughs> like, half of those fights... Would you could easily main event a fight night with Whitaker and Duplessis. Could probably even main event an Apex card with like Brady and uh, Della Maddalena. So, full preview next week for all the stuff that I hadn't talked about already. Uh, yeah, right, I will see you then. Thank you all very very much as always for listening. I appreciate the heck out of you guys. So thank you. Until next time, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.